You are listening to an audio recording from the ministry of Jefferson Town Bible Church in Jefferson Town, Kentucky, where we gather to proclaim God's Word. For more information, please visit jtownbible.org. Well, this is an historic day. We are completing the Book of Romans today. I checked uh, the PowerPoint that uh, began this series, and it was created in July of 2014. And uh, so uh, that surprised me. Might not surprise you, but it surprised me. (laughs) A great book, great truth, is all the Word of God is. But we come to uh, this portion of Romans, verses 21 through 27, chapter 16. One practice that I have observed in Russian churches is uh, during the course of the service, usually toward the middle point or toward the end of the service, wherever they choose to inject it, usually toward the end of the service. They will ask uh, people from who are visiting if they have any greetings from the churches that they're from, or, uh, and, and people will stand up and, and give their greeting uh, from this church, from this other city, from this church, and, and that's important to them. Uh, that, that is a way of them uh, tying in and having that point of connection and commonality and affection. Uh, there's blessing in it. And, and so they make a point to do that each time. And then they obviously say, take, your, take this blessing back to your church as you return. Well, we come to the end of Romans and we see the glory of God applied through blessing. We'll get our little pointer out here and get it active and ready to go here. Through blessing. Paul mentions a few more people and concludes with a tremendous blessing of the gospel. Before we look at this portion of God's word, let's bow for a word of prayer. Father, we thank you today for the privilege of having been in in this portion of your word. Uh, Lord, we, we have been blessed anew and afresh, at least I know I have, by being in Romans throughout this time. Lord, you've taught me uh, new things. You've taught me, you've you've shown me new things that I haven't realized before. Or you've taken them to a depth that I had not uh, been to before. And I'm grateful and I give you thanks because it's you using your word that gives to us the strength of mind and heart and soul the understanding, the perspective that shapes and frames our lives. And you bless us, Father, uh, profoundly and infinitely with your word. And so, Father, we come to this portion and ask that this morning will be a blessing to us as we again are exposed to the word of God. And it's to this end, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Two expressions of blessing 
In Romans chapter 16, verses 21 through 24, we see several individuals here. So we, we see uh, the blessing from fellow believers as Paul gets back into naming individuals. But now he, he ties into some particular individuals uh, with whom he's had ministry uh, and who have been engaged in investing in him in the ministry. Uh, the first one that he mentions is found in verse 21. He says, Timothy, my fellow worker, and Lucius, Jason, Jason and Sosipater, my countrymen, greet you. And we'll talk about each of these in a moment. I, Tertius, who wrote this epistle, greet you in the Lord. So you thought that Paul wrote this epistle, but uh, he did, but Tertius did too, because Tertius is the one who actually put hand to pen and whatever they had, papyrus, whatever they used for recording this, but Paul uh, told him what to write. And so Tertius wrote the book of Romans at the direction of Paul, under the guidance of the Spirit of God, obviously. He says, uh, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, my host and the host of the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the treasurer of the city, greets you. And Quartus, a brother. The Lord, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Let's observe a few things about this section. This word for Greet, not, yeah, greet, asponsomai, is an offer of greeting, of, of welcome, and includes embracing and kissing, offering the hand as well as words of greeting. It can include all of those. It doesn't mean it includes all of those all at once. Uh, but apparently in that culture, they, they were uh, a way of expressing affection and greeting was to... Uh, give that holy kiss that we talked about, and we've transitioned that to a holy hug. Um, but this word greet has a lot packed into it as far as what it is expressing. So when they say they greet you, it is expressing, as we've noted here, uh, much affection. And so as this is expressed by Paul, he's communicating to them that, first of all, Timothy, my fellow worker, he greets you. He has much affection for you, as well as for all believers. Timothy was considered one of Paul's right-hand men. He was a man that Paul invested himself into. He wasn't the only one, but he is one that is mentioned several times on the pages of Paul's letters. And uh, Paul entrusted him with great ministry. He had a couple of letters that he wrote to Timothy about doing ministry in the local church and what the, the local church should look like and how it should operate. Uh, it was to Timothy that he wrote and spoke to him about the qualifications of elders and the deacons and of the function of the church in teaching the Word of God and always being ready to teach the Word of God. He said to Timothy, don't let anyone despise your youth, but be one who is a bold and, and fervent in the word of God. That's not an exact quote. And so he was one who was, saw in Timothy a man with a genuine commitment to the Lord and one to whom God had put his, his hands, so to speak, upon. And Paul had been investing himself in Timothy and, and it was reciprocated. And Timothy was entrusted by Paul to be pastor uh, ultimately uh, in the city of Ephesus. And I don't know that Paul had him there in particular, but because of Paul's investment in Timothy, 
Paul was, uh, Timothy was a highly regarded pastor teacher in the early church. And that was because of, of Paul's ministry. So he says, Timothy, my fellow worker. That's the way he describes Timothy. He's my fellow worker. And that was very high regard and a very high statement. He's my fellow worker. Because that's what Paul said about himself. Think of me as a bondservant of the Lord. Let's go all the way back to chapter 1 of Romans and see how Paul describes himself. He says, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. That's how this letter begins. Paul didn't elevate himself. He knew his calling. He says, I'm called to be an apostle. He wasn't saying that to elevate himself at all. He was simply saying, this is that would, the, the position, this is the ministry to which God has called me, an apostle of Jesus Christ. And I'm separated to the gospel of God. But he says, first and foremost, I am a bondservant. And so when he says of Timothy, you are my fellow worker, that is a, very, uh, a statement of very high regard of this young man. To be said by Paul, you are my fellow worker, is to be saying that you are one who is shoulder to shoulder with me in serving Christ. And he says, this is Timothy. And he sends his greetings to you, his affection to you, along with Lucius and Jason and Sisypater. Uh, he refers to them as my countrymen. Probably they were believing Jews. And from the city of Corinth and the cities around Corinth. And these men were ones who were known in, in Corinth and in the ministry of Paul. And he says, these men, they have you on their heart as well. And they send to you their greeting, their affection. And then we come to verse 22. I, Tertius, who wrote this epistle... This is a great ministry. Apparently, Paul had some issues that uh, made it a, a, a great uh, labor for him to be able to write, to do the actual activity of writing. The concepts and the truths are there, but uh, apparently he had some physical issues that impeded his ability to write. Not to write at all, but perhaps to write as clearly as he would need to write. You know, I, I, my, old, my oldest sibling is uh, a sister, and uh, she, through the years, has written letters to us. And now she writes letters. It's been this way just for a few years when we open them up and read them. It takes a while to work our way through it. Because as she has aged, uh, she has developed arthritis, and her ability to write clearly has been affected. Now, her ability to think is still there, and she can express herself well. I'm keeping myself from making any comments about my sister. <laughs> but she's still lucid and able to think well and express herself well. But the ability to actually write it clearly has been affected. 
And with the important truths that were being communicated here, obviously Paul wanted what was written to be written clearly and legibly. So Tertius was one that Paul tapped. He says, I not only trust your handwriting capabilities, but obviously Tertius was on the same page with him uh, as a believer. And so they worked as a team, and, and, and Tertius says, I also extend to you my warmest greetings, my warmest affections in the Lord. What we see here is a team of people, a team of believers. And even though they're not in the same local church, they realize they're on the same team. And we are a team of believers. We have a local assembly here, but we have other believers. And God is doing his work through his church and through a team of believers. And among other things, we should have an affection for genuine fellow believers. Because um, not every believer is in Jefferson Town Bible Church. If that were the case, um, we would have been looking for a facility a long time ago. <laughs> God's team is a lot bigger than that. But he goes on to verse 23 and he says, Gaius, my host. Paul wrote this from Corinth. He says, Gaius, my host. You ever been in someone's house, in someone's home, and they were just the most gracious host? They not only made you feel at home, but you, you, you wanted to be there. And when you left, you looked forward to the time that you could return. I mean, they just developed that kind of not only atmosphere, but relationship. And Gaius was a dear fellow believer, a dear fellow servant. And, and that's the kind of atmosphere that he created in his home. And he says, Gaius, my host. And he extends to you your greetings. But not only is he my host, but he's the host of the whole church. And obviously the church met at his home, which must have been rather extensive to accommodate the number of people that uh, had come to know Christ in Corinth. Now, it wasn't a mega church. There, there were no mega churches per se in the sense that we think of mega churches uh, in the early years. The closest you would come to that would be Jerusalem. And even then, they, they didn't have a facility in which they met. The temple was not a place where they could go and uh, uh, gather for church. Now, they did go there and teach, but as far as having a facility, I, so they met elsewhere. They met from house to house. They met where they could, and the apostles taught. But that would be as close as you could come to the concept of, of a mega church. The point is that uh, there weren't a, a, a massive amount of people in Corinth, but that, that were part of the church, but Gaius had a heart for the Lord, he had a heart for believers, and he used what he had. He used the assets that he possessed. And the asset that he possessed, obviously as, as a probably a wealthier believer, was he had a home, and a home that was large enough to accommodate a fairly large group of people. He opened it up. He hosted the church. Every time they met, and I don't know how many times that was, they didn't operate on our schedule. They did meet on the Lord's Day. 
but they probably showed up before 10 <laughs> and stayed longer. But that's Gaius. And Gaius sent his warm, affectionate greetings to the believers at Rome as well. Now here's a fascinating statement. Erastus, the treasurer of the city. That's an important position. The treasurer of any city is an important position. And hopefully they're a person of integrity. <laughs> The people of the city are trusting a treasurer to be a person of integrity. And certainly Erastus was, especially as a believer, hopefully he was before he came to Christ and trusted Christ. But that was his position, and Paul points that out. Here's, here's Erastus, this prominent person in the city of Corinth, who is now a believer in Jesus Christ, and he as well extends his warm affection to you. He greets you. And then this is fascinating to me. <clears throat> and he says, and Cordus. Josh, I challenge you that when you have your first son, you name him Cordus. <laughs> I don't know why I said that. I just did. But he just refers to him as a brother. A brother. I find that fascinating because the greeting among believers doesn't bear significance based upon our status in, in the society in which we live, the position that we hold. And certainly Paul listed some, some men here who had position because of wealth, they had position because of their status in the city. You had others who had prominence because being close to Paul and, and as a fellow worker. And he concludes it with, and Quartus, a brother, just as important as everyone else. We're told nothing else about Quartus other than the fact that he's a brother. It's as Jesus said, the first shall be last and last shall be first. There's, a, there's an equality there. And we don't want to elevate people based upon the status that they hold, the wealth that they possess, what they do in ministry and service. Because in Christ, we're one. If neither Jew nor Greek, male or female, uh, Master or bondservant, we're all one in Christ, as Paul said to the Galatian believers. Quartus, a brother, he as well greets you warmly, affectionately. And what was this greeting that Paul and they mutually expressed? And that's verse 24. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Blessing is powerful. We need to be a people of blessing. We need to be people who bless other people. And you find this repeatedly in the scriptures from our Lord, from his servants, blessing other believers. In fact, our Lord even said, bless those who what? 
curse you. And so the blessing is the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Not because there was any doubt that it would be, but the desire was that you will know and experience and apply the fullness of the grace of God. And I think the full focus of this word grace, kataris, is, is in view here. The, a, a dual focus, two primary ideas in grace and kataris. And one is favor, God's favor. And many times it's emphasized as unmerited favor. That's not inherent in the word, just favor. And of course, we inject unmerited because we know we don't deserve the favor of God. There's nothing about us that compels, compels the favor of God. But the word is emphasizing the favor of someone. And he's saying, may you know the favor of God upon your lives and upon your mutual service together in Christ Jesus. But the other nuance of it is strength and power and enabling. We need the grace of God as, as followers of Jesus Christ because we need his strength. We need his enabling. We need his empowering constantly to follow him, to serve him, to grow in grace. So grace emphasizes that power, that strengthening, that enabling. And he said the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, his favor, his strength, his enabling be upon your lives. May you know it. May you access it. May you grow in it. And then that word amen means truly, verily. They cap it off with that. And so Paul, together with these men, extend to the believers at Rome this warm affection and the blessing of God's grace. Then we next move to the substance of the blessing, verses 25 through 27. Now, to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began, but now made manifest and by the prophetic scriptures made known to all nations according to the commandment of the everlasting God, for obedience to the faith, to God alone wise, be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Let's unpack that a little bit. First of all, let's get back here to the screen. And uh, that is the screen. Verse 25. I, it's, yeah, here's where I want to be. There we go. We are established the blessing of the gospel. And the blessing of the gospel in these verses God establishes believers with the gospel. Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel. This word establish means uh, and speaks of strengthening and enabling, setting firm. God sets us firm. God makes us strong by the gospel. The gospel, as Paul speaks of it here, is talking about this incredible amount of truth that he has laid out in this letter. When we speak of the gospel today, and I'm not diminishing this, but I'm just highlighting a way that we typically think about the gospel today. We, when we speak of the gospel today or refer to the gospel today, 
We typically are referring to, if not always referring to, the whole area of justification. What does a person need to know in order to be saved, in order to come to the point where they uh, accept Christ and stand justified or put in right relationship with God? And certainly that is the gospel, part of the gospel. But as we have worked our way through Romans, we see the gospel incorporates all the truth that Paul has talked about here in these 16 chapters. You have the, the gospel that is the power of God unto salvation. And that's not only the power of God unto the salvation as represented in justification, it's the power of God as represented in the salvation that is expressed and that we grow in our sanctification because that's part of our salvation too. It is the power of God in the salvation expressed in our glorification. That is the culmination of our salvation in Christ Jesus when these uh, corrupted bodies and weakened bodies, weakened by sin, are finally transformed either through the rapture or through resurrection. And then the great truths of the gospel through 9, 10, and 11 of Romans, where we see God's work in initiating and, and affecting salvation in the life of the believer. Salvation does not originate and is not initiated by the individual. It is the work of God. And we are, by God's grace, brought into this work of salvation, into this relationship with him because of his work. And 9, 10, and 11 talk to us about these great truths of the gospel. And then chapters 12 through 15 are chapters that talk about the fact that the gospel transforms our lives. And so when Paul speaks of the gospel in verse 25, now to him who is able to establish you, to strengthen you, make you firm spiritually as a believer according to my gospel, he's talking about all this body of truth. And that is what makes us firm. That is what gives us strength. As we understand and embrace these glorious truths that are before us, that it does change our lives. I just want to use a, a quick example of that. Uh, an acquaintance of mine. Uh, had a they had a memorial service for him yesterday. He was more of a friend to some of the others in this room, but uh, a man by the name of Brian Searles. He was involved with the Arts Center in his late 50s, I believe. And uh, a little over a month ago, he went in for a colonoscopy, and uh, they found cancer. And they just interred his body yesterday. Now, he had a clear profession of faith in Christ. And so I have been just, in my mind, going over the scriptures that I know that pertain to the reality of what occurs for the believer when, when death, the physical death, becomes a reality. When we depart this body and go to be with the Lord. It's just marvelous truth. No wonder Paul said to the Philippians, I I'm caught between two desires. One is to depart and be with the Lord. 
meaning to die, to, to, that his body would die, that, that he, his soul would then depart this body and he would be present with the Lord. And he says, that's far better. Or to remain and have ministry among you in serving the Lord. And he says, I remain. I mean, that's just one taste, one morsel of the fabulous truths that are ours as believers. That gives strength. It doesn't remove grieving, but it puts a different face and a different focus on the grieving. We grieve as those who have expectation that that will be our reality too, but that we will be first and foremost reunited with the Lord, or united with the Lord, and that we will be with other believers who have preceded us, but most importantly, that we'll be with the Lord. I mean, there's so many truths that, that God has given us just in the book of Romans as it pertains to death. Oh, death, where is your sting? Romans chapter 15. I shouldn't say Romans 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. That was another of Paul's letters. See, he talked about the resurrection, 1 Corinthians 15. All about the resurrection and the conquering of death and the victory over death. And the blessing of the believer as we go through that reality of death. I mean, there's so many truths. And that's how our minds and our hearts are established. By the truths of the gospel. These expansive, deep, life-transforming truths of the gospel. And they're ours. And it's a blessing. It's a blessing. I've had friends and family members depart this life and go to be with the Lord. And I remember them, and, and I remember grieving at the time. But I, I know, because of these blessed truths of the gospel, not only of what is going to be my reality, unless the Lord comes together as church, but what has been their reality? It gives me strength. It gives me firmness of mind and heart and soul. And Paul says, Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel. That's just one area of blessing. There's so many areas of blessing of the gospel that go beyond that whole area of death and how we interface with it and how we interact with it with the truths of the gospel. It's blessing. The blessing of the gospel. What an incredible blessing. I'd rather have that than all the wealth in the world. So obviously, God says, I'm glad you made that choice because you're not going to have the wealth of the world. <laughs> and that's fine. Because the wealth of the world doesn't minister to the soul. The wealth of the world is fleeting and everything else about the world. So God is able to establish, make strong, make firm according to his gospel. Now watch this. God establishes believers through the preaching of Jesus Christ, as he says here in verse 25. And that's obviously uh, 
all through the gospel. Jesus Christ is the gospel. All the truths regarding the gospel flow from Jesus Christ, but he, he makes that distinction here. And the preaching of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of all the good news. He is the center of the good news. He is the power of the good news. He is the anticipation of the good news. Jesus Christ is the good news. And so we preach Christ. We preach Jesus Christ and Him crucified and risen and coming again. That's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15 as he's talked about the gospel, that according to the scriptures, Christ died for our sins and was buried and rose again according to the scriptures. Jesus Christ is the gospel. And all the truths that he has articulated and all the truths that are built off the person of Jesus Christ. And he says we are established by the preaching of Christ, the proclamation of Christ in our lives and, and embracing those truths and, and knowing more and more and more about this fabulous, unique person of Jesus Christ, God the Son in human flesh. And the glorious implications of that. But he goes on to particular say, according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the, begin, since the world began. Jesus Christ in him and in the preaching of Christ is the unfolding of, of all the plan of redemption that, that God has revealed, that God has made available to man. Jesus Christ is that revelation. And it was a mystery that was kept secret by God since the world began. At the right time, in God's time, he unfolded these truths in their fullness. There were, there, there were initial truths. There were truths building up to the person of Jesus Christ, revealed by God through the prophets, proclaimed by the prophets. But the fulfillment of it and the fullness of it came in the person of Jesus Christ in his life and ministry and what he taught. Go with me, keep your finger here in Romans chapter 16 and go with me to the book of John in chapter 1. The Apostle John said this about Jesus Christ. Verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. Does that mean that Jesus Christ had this orb of light, this orb of shining effluence, uh, about him all the time? No. It was the glory of his person, the glory of his character, the glory of his nature. We beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father. Here it is, full of grace and truth. We are established by coming to know Jesus Christ and who he is more and more and more. We have come to know Christ by trusting Him as our Lord and Savior, we continue to grow, as Peter said, in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we are established more and more in our lives and in our soul and in our thinking as we come to know Him more fully, more deeply, more completely. And that is the fullness of the proclamation of Christ and of the gospel. And, and again, the gospel here is all the truths embedded in the gospel. But then we have a third area that Paul speaks of here. God establishes believers 
through the written word. When he speaks of the prophetic word here, he's talking about the word of God that was proclaimed and written by the apostles and prophets of, of the New Testament. He says, but now made manifest and by the prophetic scriptures made known to all nations. The prophetic scriptures are made known to all nations because they've been recorded. We have in our hands the New Testament. That's the prophetic scripture. It's not prophetic in the sense of foretelling what's going to happen in the future. That's part of it. It is the scriptures that have been communicated through the New Testament servants, the apostles and prophets. Those are the ones that God used to record the New Testament scriptures. And we are established by the written word of God. We don't depend upon oral tradition. We have the written word of God that we get into, and it's with the word of God that our minds and hearts are established. God has given us the blessing of a written record. You have this blessing in your hand. You have this blessing in your home. You have this blessing on your tablet. You have this blessing on your phone. The word of God is, is a rich and infinite blessing, and it's ours, and we have it. And the more we get into it, the more we are blessed. The more we put it into practice, the more we are blessed, and the more we are established. And Paul says, may you know the, the, the establishing, the strengthening, the firming up spiritually in your life by the written word of God. Now the Roman church had another layer of God's truth in their possession. The New Testament scriptures were in the process of being written, as Paul wrote Romans. There were other epistles that were yet to come, not only by Paul, but by the other apostles. And by the time we get to the end of the Apostle John's life, about 96 A.D., all of the written record of the New Testament was completed. The book of Revelation being that final written record. And so the Romans had in their hand another layer of God's blessing. They had it in their church first. And what they would do, the early church would do, is that they would copy the letters that were given to them. And they would keep a copy or they would keep an original and send copies out. And so the letters were circulated among the early church. That's one of the reasons why there's so many copies because the early believers made copies and they were very careful, very careful to record exactly what was there. But they had another layer of blessing with these blessed truths. And so they were blessed and were blessed with the word of God. We're blessed with the gospel. We're blessed with the person of Jesus Christ. We're blessed with the written word of God. And then finally here, God establishes believers through his wisdom. I find it fascinating in verse 27, it says, to God, comma, alone wise. By comparison, there is no one wise when we're stacked up to God. God is infinite. God is infinitely wise. All things that God has done is flows from and through 
His infinite wisdom. He alone is wise. We begin to grow in wisdom when we have a fear, a respect of, of, of God and the knowledge of God. That's when we begin to grow in wisdom. When we begin to interact with the person of God in his written record, when we begin to interact with the wisdom that he has revealed, that's when we begin to grow in wisdom. As we're exposed to the wisdom of God and embrace the wisdom of God, God alone is wise. <coughs> Men believe themselves to be wise apart from God, but it is foolishness, according to the testimony of Scripture. So to God alone wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever. And so God, through the person of Jesus Christ, God the Son, His glory is revealed. His glory is expressed. And it's through our relationship with Jesus Christ that the glory of God is expressed in our lives. We are created to express the glory of God. Everything that God has created is an expression of His glory. And anything that He has created that is not operating according to His design and His created purposes is not functioning as it ought to. Thus, as sin entered the human race, humanity no longer sought to glorify God, but to pursue their own ends. Man became selfish and self-oriented and didn't no longer express the glory of God. But in Jesus Christ, we are reconciled to God. In Jesus Christ, we have a new life and a new nature. We are a new person and a new creature. And now we are able through Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ to express the glory of God in our lives. To God alone wise, be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. And it's when we lay hold of those great blessings and purposes that our lives take greater definition and greater purpose. All of humanity exists for the glory of God. That does not mean that all of humanity expresses the glory of God but all of humanity exists for the glory of God. It's only in Christ that we can live that blessing and embrace that glory. So here we have this wonderful letter concluding with blessings. Blessings from fellow believers, blessings from God. God's desire is to bless your life. Not in a superficial way, but in ways that matter. And he will, and he does. He strengthens us in mind and heart and soul through the blessing of the gospel, the blessing of Jesus Christ, the blessing of his word. Let's thank God from whom all blessings flow. Father, we thank you today for the blessing of being here together and worshiping you. Lord, worshiping you and giving praise to you through the songs that we uh, enjoyed lifting to you this morning. But Father, also giving uh, praise to you and being blessed by you through 
being exposed to your written word and the glorious truths that we have been exposed to throughout this book of Romans. Thank you, Father, for this blessed gift. Thank you for strengthening us. Thank you, Father, for the innumerable glorious truths that you have laid before us in Christ Jesus that give us hope, that give us expectation, that give us strength of mind and heart and soul as we go through this life anticipating what you have laid up for us. And Father, we give thanks for your blessings in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been an audio recording from the ministry of Jefferson Town Bible Church in Jefferson Town, Kentucky, where we gather to proclaim God's word. For more information, please visit jtownbible.org.